Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Peter in chapter number one this morning, 1 Peter chapter one, and we're going to Spend a few minutes here understanding that the resurrection, it doesn't matter just 2,000 years ago. It is something that matters each and every day in our life. How many of you remember, uh, you remember sitting in a class or maybe uh, in, in a home with your parents or your grandparents, and as they were speaking, you were thinking, when am I ever going to need this information? <laughs> Be honest, how many of you remember those times? Yeah, now your kids do it to you, don't they? Uh, we all have those times when that teacher would get up and teach. And I remember sitting in like, you know, like English class. I mean, who needs English class, you know? And now I get up and speak in front of people every week. And I'm like, I wish I would have listened in English class. Uh, those of you that know I was out of town last week, I spoke in Indiana. I was giving an illustration in Indiana. And I actually said this. I said, you know, when he eated... And I had two guys on the platform with me, and, and I was using them as illustrations. And I said, when he eated, and I just stopped, this guy is the school administrator. <laughs> he just goes, no, I mean, it, it's, there's probably about 250, 300 people. He, went, he goes, eated? I was like, I said it, didn't I? I said, I eat it, you know. Man, I wish I would have paid attention in those English classes a little bit more. At the time, I thought, what does this matter for today? Or for, for, next, for next week, for next year? What does this matter for the future? I know it matters today. I know I need to pass the test next week. But why do I really need to learn this? You know, when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we're not careful, we can have that approach to it. The resurrection, I mean, it mattered 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, it mattered for those Christians. I mean, it mattered so that the Bible could be written. But what does the resurrection matter in my life today? But the fact of the matter is, is just as much as the resurrection mattered 2,000 years ago, it matters today in your life and in mine. It matters so much that Peter wrote to the readers that he was writing to. Many of them were Christians that were scattered throughout the known region and they were suffering under the, under the persecution of the Roman Empire. There was a lot taking place. And Peter wrote to them, hey, you need to understand that what the resurrection means for you is that you have, we already sang the song, you have a living hope. What does it mean that the resurrection is a living hope? We're going to learn a little bit about that today. If you would take your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter number 1, and let's go and read just a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's stand together. Give you a moment to stretch your legs. 1 Peter chapter number 1, here's what Peter writes about the resurrection. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. We've been born again unto a lively hope by or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been begotten or born again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, which is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Peter says to his readers as he starts out this book of 1 Peter, he says to them, hey, because of the resurrection, you have a living hope. What does that mean? What does it mean that the resurrection didn't just matter 2,000 years ago, but it matters today? These are a few of the questions that we're going to understand and talk about. And I hope that before we're done, you will realize more than you ever have before that the resurrection matters in history, it matters today, but most importantly, it matters to you. The resurrection matters in your life. We're going to talk about that this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you pray with me just in the quietness of your own heart? Would you pray and would you ask the Lord to speak to you? You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. Dear God, please speak to me. And then would you make a commitment, God, if you speak to me today, I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you. I want to respond to you. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the truth of the word of God, the truth of the resurrection, that we serve a risen Savior. And I know, Lord, as we set aside this special day of the year, Easter, to really focus in on the resurrection, I pray that you'd help us to see that it doesn't just matter one day a year. Now, Father, this is something that you desire to touch every aspect of our life and every day of our life. And so, Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, you would help us to tune in, to hear from you, and that you would use your word to speak into our lives today. We love you, Lord. I do pray that if there's someone that is here that doesn't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust in you alone. We love you. Pray that you bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As Peter writes, he writes that we have a living hope because of or through or by the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this morning, before we really understand the resurrection of Jesus, we've got to know what took place before it. And so I want you to travel with me, if you would, to the Garden of Gethsemane. To the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus on a probably a Tuesday night would be praying and spending time in prayer, seeking the Lord and, and praying the prayers that you've heard of let this cup pass from me. And, and of course, Jesus would go out and talk to his disciples a few times. But it's in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, when Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Christ, would approach Jesus. He would approach Jesus with a, a whole group of Roman soldiers and many people from the Jewish leadership, which would be called the Sanhedrin. They would approach Christ in the garden, and Jesus asks the question, whom seek ye? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, Judas, at this point, had already walked up to Jesus and given him a kiss on the cheek to signify that that was the Christ. Um, this is how he told, he told the, ru the rulers, hey, I'll show you who Jesus is by giving him the greeting. That would be like you and I shaking hands and just have that greeting, that hello. And Jesus says to Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? Betrayest thou the Messiah with, with a kiss? And of course, then Jesus says to the soldiers, whom seek ye? And they say, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he simply says three words, I am he. And all the, all the soldiers in Sanhedrin, they all fall back. They all hit the ground. They stand up and ask, and Jesus says again, whom seek ye? I joke about it often, but if I was them, I'd be like, man, keep your mouth shut. Nobody say anything. I won't fall down again, you know? And yet Jesus says, I am he, let these go their way. 
They arrested Jesus Christ, and then for the next few moments, they would take a, they would take a walk with Jesus, and of course, they would be uh, just uh, kind of annoying him all along the way until finally they would reach one of the courts, a court that would be something like this, just some benches in an area where a person would stand up on trial and be questioned, and Jesus would go through what we would call the kangaroo courts. He would first go before Annas, the, the high priest of the people. And before Annas, he would be punched and struck in the face and asked questions to which he would not give a reply. The Bible tells us that then he would go before Caiaphas, Matthew chapter number 26, that he would go before Caiaphas, the, the, another high priest, the high priest selected, uh, I believe, by many of the Romans that would say, well, we recognize Caiaphas of the high priest. And they would go and, and be questioned there. And it's here that we find them, the Jews, condemning Jesus Christ and saying that he is worthy of death. And here's what, here was his crime. His crime was simply just proclaiming that he was the son of God. That's the only crime that Jesus committed, preaching truth to them that I am the son of God. During this time with Caiaphas, we read that they would spit upon Jesus and they would begin to punch him. And the Bible says to buffet him. That means to really use him as a punching bag and to slap him. And they would blindfold him and punch him and say, if you are the Christ, then tell us who slapped you. Following this, he would go to Pontius Pilate, the Roman elected governor of the land. Pilate would question Jesus, and Pilate, the Bible says that he would marvel at the words that Jesus spoke unto him. Pilate then would go before the Sanhedrin, <clears throat> the Jewish leadership that were uh, for envy had pushed up, had, had uh, delivered Jesus up to die. They were jealous of him. Don't miss that. That's why they, they wanted to crucify Christ because they were jealous of the following that he had because they knew that he was the son of God. And here Pilate would stand before the Sanhedrin and he would say, I find no fault in him. And they, of course, would tell Pilate that's not good enough for us. So they sent Jesus to, to King Herod, Herod Antipas, the king of the region. He would go there and be ridiculed and mocked and made fun of and then sent back to Pilate again. Before Pilate, this second time, Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to release you? And Jesus said to him, the only power you have is because my father has given it to you. And Pilate, knowing Jesus was innocent, his wife, Pilate's wife, begging him, don't, don't have anything to do with this innocent man. And Pilate goes before the people and he has on one hand Jesus of Nazareth. On the other, he has a man by the name of Barabbas. And Jesus and, and, and uh, Pilate says to them, it is a custom. It's a custom during this time of year that I deliver unto you a prisoner that Rome has captured. Would, it, would, you, would you have that I deliver Jesus of Nazareth, whom he says is the king of the Jews, this innocent man who has done no crime? Or would you rather I release Barabbas, this robber and this one who's uh, creating insurrection, this one who's creating uh, uh, people to, to rise up against Rome? Who would you rather? And it's interesting, Pilate was trying to even set it up so they would choose Jesus. And the people, they yell out, give us Barabbas. Because the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders had gone around and they had said, ask for Barabbas. 
They had, they had really tried to get in and secretly do all of this. And so Pilate says, all right, I'll give you Barabbas. What do I do with Jesus? And with one voice, the Bible says, the people cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? And the Jews, led by the Sanhedrin and all of the people that were there, they were relentless in yelling out, crucify him. Pilate then goes to a washing pot, washes his hands, and says, I rid my hands of this. It is in your, it's in your court. And so they take Jesus. They scourge him again. And then they have him walk down the Via Dolorosa. The Via Dolorosa, this main street in Israel that at that time would not have been paved like it is now, but it would be close to this. It was the main thoroughfare. It was the main place where people would travel. And every, every uh, time there was a crucifixion, the Romans would take that prisoner after they would be beaten and bloodied and barely recognizable that they were of, uh, of, of mankind. They would put the, the uh, crossbar of the cross upon them. And they would make Jesus Christ, our, our Savior, this innocent one, this one who was arrested simply for saying and being the Son of God. They put that crossbar on him, and as weak as he was, Jesus begins to make his way down the Via Dolorosa. Jesus would have been very weak during this time. The reason is because not only had he undergone the, the punching and things of that nature, but the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27 that just before they took Jesus down the Via Dolorosa, it says that they scourged him. The word scourge, it means to beat thoroughly. <laughs> Jesus would have been whipped. You know the story with the cat of nine tails. Now we hear that and we really just kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of a story to us. But the cat of nine tails, this leather whip that would have entrenched in every, in every uh, strand of the whip, there would be glass and bone and broken shards and pottery all in there. And the men who would scourge Jesus, this was their only job. They were professionals at it. They weren't Roman guards that would stand guard over people. They weren't Roman guards that would go out in the streets. They were Roman guards that their job was to scourge the prisoner. They were relentless professionals at scourging. And they would beat Jesus, stretch him out where the back muscles would be all exposed and tight. And then they would take that cat of nine tails and two of them on either side and they would just beat Christ. And every time that cat of nine tails would wrap around that back, all of those shards would dig in and then they would pull the flesh from the body. And then Jesus gets that cross bar of the cross put on him to go up the Via Dolorosa. No wonder it says that he broke underneath the weight of it. He couldn't carry it. And so they grabbed one from the crowd and said, carry the cross. This man carried the cross and they would take Christ up and they would lay him down on that crossbar and then they didn't have to force his hands like everybody else. 
You see, everybody else that was crucified, you know what they did? They would take their hands and they would put their knee on their arm and hold their hands down while they're fighting and trying to muster up as much strength as they could to fight those guards back. Instead, Jesus willingly put his hands down, put his feet together, and they nailed the perfect son of God to a cross. They would then, with a number of soldiers, lift that cross up and they would drop it in a pre-dug hole in the ground. And as soon as that cross would hit, the joints of the body would all, would all come apart. And then Jesus would hang there. And just to get a breath, would have to pull himself up on those hand, nail-pierced hands. And just to breathe. And as he was upon that cross, Jesus said a number of phrases. One of them, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did you know that phrase is probably one of the most important phrases on the cross? The reason is because Jesus was asking God a question. God, why have you turned your back on me? Because at that point on the cross, do you want to know what happened? Probably the worst pain of it all, the sin of every single person was placed upon him. The sin of every single person was placed upon him as he hung on the cross at what is called the place of the skull, Golgotha. And the Bible tells us this, that Jesus could have come down. You know the song, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he stayed up there. Why did he stay up there? Well, he stayed up there because of your sin and my sin. And on that cross, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus was and is the perfect sinless son of God. He never said a bad word, never had a bad thought, never committed any sin. He was the perfect son of God. So why did he die? He died, he stayed on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. You see, the Bible tells us that we all are sinners and we all deserve hell. And the word of God says it this way, that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, the entire reason that Jesus stayed on that cross was because of your sin and my sin that was placed upon him as the perfect sinless lamb of God. Jesus was the sacrifice given for our sins. And the Bible tells us that since we are all sinners, we come short of the glory of God. We have to have some restoration. We have to have some forgiveness. There has to be some sort of penance that can be done for my sin and But the Bible teaches that we cannot obtain forgiveness on our own. You can't obtain forgiveness, but forgiveness must be given. Some people try to pay for their own sins and obtain forgiveness by giving money. Some people try to do it by going to a preacher or a priest and and confessing sin. Some people try to obtain forgiveness or make themselves right with God by getting baptized. Some do it by trying to do a bunch of good deeds or going to church or having a a checklist that they perform. But my friend, none of those things can bring forgiveness into your life. Forgiveness only comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And he took your sin and my sin upon himself. And because of this, we have forgiveness offered. You see, he was the payment for our sin. And the Bible tells us that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins because of the blood that he shed. You want to know what's incredible about the death of Jesus? Is that he didn't stay dead. You see, here's what the Bible says in Matthew 28, 5 through 8. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. My friend, you know what's amazing about the death of Jesus is three days later, Jesus rose again. Three days later, they would enter a tomb, and you know what was there? Nothing. The tomb was empty. And those, those ladies who were there to anoint the body of the dead, they were there, and the angel said to them, hey, I know that you've come to see Christ, but he is not here, for he is risen just as he promised you. Hey, the awesome thing about the death of Jesus is the resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection and the empty tomb is the validity it's the valid statement. It's the statement to, to validate what Jesus said and what he did. I love how one man put it. The resurrection of Jesus was his statement of validity. You see, Jesus was the only one who prophesied his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection, and it actually happened. And when he rose from the dead, he was proving to mankind that he is the Christ and that he is the son of the living God. He was proving to you that he can be trusted. He was proving to you, just as I said I could forgive sins, I really can forgive sins because sin has no reign over me. It has no control over me. Death cannot control me. I am the risen son of God. What was he doing? He was proving that everything that he said was true. And because of this, Peter writes, we have a living hope. That word hope, it means a confident expectation. It is a living, confident expectation. We use the word hope like I really hope that, you know, lunch is good today. I really hope that I get a raise at work this next year. I really hope that the kids behave themselves. What are you saying? You're just saying I... I really, you know, I kind of hope it comes true. I mean, I, I don't know if it will, but I, when the Bible uses the word hope, we have a living hope. It's not like, hey, we have a living, I might come true. No, 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 no. Confident expectation. Hey, I know this is true. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it brings into your life and my life a living hope. Why do we have living hope? The verse tells us because we receive mercy. Hey, it is only through Jesus Christ that you and I can receive mercy. Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us. That phrase, begotten us, we would say he saved us. Because of Jesus, we can have mercy and forgiveness. I love what I read just this week. A friend posted this. There is more mercy in Jesus than sin in you. I love that statement. Man, there is more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in you. And my friend, you might be here today and you might be one who would join yourself with the statement of Paul to say, but I'm the chiefest of sinners. How could God love someone like me? 
How could God care for someone like me? Hey, every single one of us are sinners before God, and every one of us could say it, but it's according to his abundant mercy. The word abundant, it's overflowing. We just finished up the book of Ephesians, or the, the first three chapters of Ephesians a couple weeks ago, that God is rich in grace. Hey, his grace and mercy for you, it's never gonna run out. It's not gonna be like that, Brian, right behind you, hand me that water bottle. It's not like a water bottle. It runs out, ready? Two drips, or a little bit more. You know what? I'm out of water. I'm out. Hey, with the grace of Jesus, with his mercy, he's never gonna go, Sorry, you're on your own. The Lord's never gonna do that. Why? Because we have a living hope. Here you go, Brian. Nice catch, Sam. <clears throat> Why is he never gonna run out? Because we have a living hope. You see, since he rose from the dead, we receive mercy. He rose from the dead. You know what we receive? We receive promise. It's a living hope because we receive promise. Well, what do you mean? Look at verse number five. Four and five, to an inheritance. We've been born again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what? Because of Jesus, because, hey, because of his living hope, you and I have the promise that we share in the inheritance of heaven. This inheritance is unlike any other earthly inheritance. Why? Because it's incorruptible. This means that nothing can ruin it. It's not like some of that canned food that's sitting in your shelves. You know the kind I'm talking about that you go and you're like, oh man, when's that expire? 2013. Man, it's canned food, you know? And then you take a bite of it and you go, oh, it's ruined. Years ago, my sister and I, uh, Dina, who was just here, of course, I tell people, and you know this, I grew up with three moms instead of two sisters and a mom because they're so much older than me and they boss me around all the time. And I resent them still to this day for it. But I remember Dina, she would, we, would, uh, we would eat ramen whenever I got home from school, top ramen, one of the healthiest things you could eat. I'm kidding, it's not. And I remember one time she was like, hey, we're out of ramen, but I found some. I was like, okay, well, let's have it. We opened it up, we cooked it, she threw it in, she cooked it, and as it's cooking, she looked down in there and she's like, I don't think we're gonna eat this. And you know, me, I was like 10 years old, I was like, why, come on, I'm hungry. And she's like, look, and we looked in there, maggots. <laughs> hey, you know what happened to that ramen? It had spoiled, it had, it had been ruined. Hey, can I tell you that your inheritance doesn't have shelf life with God? What's that mean? You can't lose it. Heaven is waiting for you. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's not gonna erode. It's not gonna be made impure. It's never gonna grow old. It says it fadeth not away. Hey, listen, the, the, the uh, power that you and I have because of the resurrection, the life that we have, the promise of heaven that we have, it's not going anywhere. We can't lose it. It won't change. It's not alive now and dead someday. No, it's a, 
Verse five, it's kept by the power of God. You know what that word kept means? It means guarded by. Hey, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you know what the resurrection does? It brings into your life God's power that says, I will guard this. You'll never lose it. Never gonna grow old, never gonna fade away. Peter, why is this a living hope? It's a living hope because you receive mercy. It's a living hope because you receive power, but also it's a living hope because we receive hope today. We receive hope today. Look with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the thought today as believers, when we trust, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, you are now brought into a living hope. And yes, it is a hope, like, like the testimony said, it is a hope that one day I'll be in a confident expectation that one day I get to be in heaven. But listen, it is a hope that you can live in right now. And while the resurrection brings a hope for eternity, it also brings hope that is alive today. What does this mean, a living hope? What did Paul mean when Paul said, I want to know the power of his resurrection in my daily life? What does that mean? It means this, that because he is alive, you can live today differently. It's not fake. It's not a security blanket. It's not make-believe. It's not just something that is a crutch to stand upon. No, I have hope because... The gospel message of Jesus Christ is about hope. The gospel message of his death, burial, and resurrection is not a trophy or a trinket from years gone by. No, it should shape our life and the way we live today. You see, he's alive. That can change literally everything. Think about it this way. Let's say today, if you had a bank account full of money. I mean, I'm talking, there's, and there's zeros past it that you just can't even imagine. It's in your bank account. I've got a question for you. If you go home tomorrow from work and you open up the mailbox and there's a bill there, and it's a bill for a million dollars, some of you are like, man, that's a big bill. Let's just imagine with me. It's a bill for a million dollars. If your bank account had 27 zeros past the number, what are you going to do with that bill? You're going to write it. You're going to pay it. Are you going to be like, what am I going to do? No. Now, if your bank account has what it has right now in it, and you get a check for a million, are you going to bill for a million dollars? You know what you're doing? Ah, what am I going to do? Man, you are going to wig out. What am I doing? How about this? Think about this, if you, if you knew somebody who was a doctor, a physician, and they had a cure for absolutely any disease, anything that you could ever face, and they were in your family, and you go to a doctor and they tell you, well, you've got this disease, would it really scare you? No. Why? All I got to do is pick up my phone and say, hey. I've got this disease. Could you send me the, uh, the cure for it? Yep, I can send it to you. Great, thanks, bye. Well, why? 
Why could you approach those things differently? Why would the bill not bother you? Why would that, that, that uh, uh, disease not scare you? The reason is because having the right resource provides confidence. When you have the right resource, you have confidence. My friend, can I tell you this morning that Jesus is the perfect resource for everything? He is alive. You know what that means? Tomorrow, he's living. I can wake up and I can live the day for him knowing he's alive. Tomorrow, when something goes wrong, and like Noah said in his testimony, whether it's by our own doing or by the doing, which most of his are by his own doing, we all agreed on that, whether it's his own doing or by the doing of somebody else, I can wake up tomorrow and I can understand, hey, God can use this situation to bring about good for his name. Listen, here's what Peter was saying when he was writing about the living hope. He was helping you understand that when you have the living hope of the resurrection in your life, it causes you to have, take that fear, and that fear can become faith. And you can take that doubt and that date, that doubt can become confidence and you can take your hopelessness and because of the resurrection of Jesus, you now can face every day with hope. Hey, Peter said it well when he said, we are born again unto a living hope. It is not dead. It is alive. Why? Because Jesus is our hope. And so I want to tell you today as we wrap up, I want to give you just a couple quick thoughts I don't know where you are on the spiritual spectrum. There are some here today that you, you've known Jesus, you've asked, asked him to be your savior years ago. You're over here. You, you attend church, you love the Lord, you're in the word of God, you're over here. There's some, you're kind of right here. You may know, you, you know Christ, but it's kind of like, well, you know, I mean, I just, I kind of do the church thing every now and then. I, you know, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. The word of God's not that big of a deal. It's kind of like, well, I know Jesus, but I'm going to do my life now and I'll figure things out later. Others of you, you're over here and you know Christ is your savior, but it's like, I just don't really care about anything else. Jesus was my ticket to heaven and you're here. There's some, you're on this end. And you don't know that Christ is in your life. You don't know if you died today that you go to heaven. Can I tell you this morning, wherever you're at on that spiritual spectrum, that his living hope is available to you today in every area. And God desires that his living hope would affect your life every day. And if you're over here and you know Christ is your savior and you're in church and you're in the word and you're faithfully following him, hey, don't stop. Keep remembering you have a living hope. If you're right here and you're saying, you know, I'm just kind of on the fringe. I know Jesus is my savior, but I'm not all in. I'm just kind of hit and miss. Hey, God has more for you. Don't live under the privileges of being a child of God and knowing that he has hope for you every day for every situation you face. If you're in this category and you're like, Jesus was just my ticket to heaven, when you trusted Christ as your savior, he has more for you than just a ticket to heaven. I echo what Guy said a few minutes ago. Man, that's just the, that's the extra. That's the bonus. No, now he wants to help you today and he wants to enable you today and strengthen you and give you grace and mercy and work in your life today. And he wants to help you with that fear and doubt and frustration and that hopelessness. Man, he brings that into your life today. But if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, Everything I just spoke about, he's offering to you. The cross, the death, the burial, and resurrection, it was all for you. He loved you, and he gave his life for you.
And today the decision you need to make is to receive him into your life. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you a few questions. If you're here today, and you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor, I know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've put my faith and trust in him. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor, I know that. If that's you today and you know for certain you're going to heaven, would you pray today and ask the Lord, God, help me to remember it's a living hope. God, help me to allow your resurrection to touch my life every day. But maybe you're here this morning and you'd be honest. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you by name. I would simply like to pray for you. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me because I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Just right up and right back down. Listen, if that's you today and you raised your hand, you can put them down, thank you. If you raised your hand this morning, can I tell you right now, right now, right where you are, you could ask Jesus into your life. Right now, right where you are, the Bible says that we have to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. And if you believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on the cross for you, if you believe that, that he rose again to prove that he was God, the Bible says to just confess that with your mouth to him. What's that look like, pastor? Right there where you're seated, maybe you're with us online, right where you are, right now you could pray. You could pray something like this, dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner and I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And Jesus, I believe that you rose again and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to be my savior. Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. It's not that prayer that saves you. It's just you confessing with your mouth that you believe in Jesus in your heart. If you need to make that decision today, I would encourage you to make it today. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.